Alright, so two more chapters left. So now we're on to the resurgence of conservatism and the culture war. This is going to be 1980 to the present. So we'll start off with the election of 1980. The nominations. So the Democrats are going to nominate President Jimmy Carter. The Republicans would nominate Ronald Reagan from California. Uh, Reagan was a leading spokesman for American conservatism. He was also uh, a B-grade movie star in the 1940s and was a New Deal Democrat until he became a spokesman for General Electric in 54, and this was during the Red Scare. He served as president of the Screen Actors Guild in the 50s who helped purge communists from the film industry, and he served as California's governor from 66 to 74. Now, as an independent, we had John Anderson. He was a congressman. He ran on the third-party ticket. Reagan would call for reductions in government spending and taxes, and this is going to be a shift in power from federal government to the states, and he also advocated the traditional American values, so family, religion, hard work, and patriotism. He would blast the Soviets for their aggression, and he would vow to rebuild the U.S. military. He received vigorous support from the New Right, and this would include evangelical Christian groups like Jerry Falwell's Moral Majority. Now, the religious right would also denounce abortion, pornography, homosexuality, the ERA, and affirmative action. Religious conservatives also uh, championed prayer in public schools and tougher penalties for criminals. Reagan would denounce the activist federal government and failed social engineering of the Great Society in the 60s, and he would promise to get the government off people's backs. Carter would defend his record... <clears throat> but was very uninspiring in his style. His inability to deal with the double-digit inflation of the 1970s was very damaging for his campaign. The Iran hostage crisis was especially damaging, and Carter would charge that Reagan was a warmonger who might push the country into a nuclear war. And the results of the race, Reagan would defeat Carter 489-49 to 49 in the Electoral College. Uh, Reagan got... Over 51% of the vote, Carter 41 and Anderson 7. Carter was the first sitting president to be unseated by voters since Herbert Hoover in 32. Republicans gained control of the Senate for the first time in 25 years, and the election ushered in the conservative Reagan revolution that would continue into the 21st century. All right, Reagan was known as the great communicator. Uh, he had superb communication skills, and the optimism he had gave Americans a renewed sense of hope and destiny in the 1980s, and this would follow the frustrating and cynical 1970s because we had the OPEC oil embargo, our loss in the Viet you know, Vietnam War, and stagflation. The Republican, <clears throat> sorry, the uh, Reagan publicity would make light of the assassination attempt on March 30th of 81 that nearly ended his life. Reagan uh, told a surgeon before the operation to remove the bullet from his chest, and he said, I hope you're all Republicans. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, Reagan in the Cold War. Reagan's early rhetoric regarding the Soviet Union was very harsh. He decried the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan in 79. He sought to deal with the Soviets from a position of strength by embarking on a massive new round to the arms race. Americans could bear the economic burden of a renewed arms race, while the Soviets could not. In October of 1981, Reagan seemed to, seemed to endorse the concept that the U.S. might fight the Soviets in a limited nuclear war on European soil. Western Europeans were horrified, and an anti-nuclear movement emerged there by 1982. Reagan called for intermediate-range missiles to be placed in Western Europe, in, uh, Western Europe to counter the Soviet implantation of intermediate-range missiles in Eastern Europe. 
The Evil Empire speech was given May of 1980, not May, sorry, March of 1983, so two months before I was born. Reagan called the USSR the evil empire and the focus of evil in the modern world, and the speech justified his military buildup as necessary to thwart the aggressive Soviets. The U.S. eventually placed intermediate-range missiles in Western Europe. The Strategic Defense Initiative, or the SDI, also called Star Wars, in March of 83, Reagan announced his intention to pursue a, a high technology missile defense system. The plan envisioned orbiting battle stations in space that could fire laser beams or other forms of concentrated energy to vaporize Soviet intercontinental missiles on liftoff. Reagan claimed SDI would offer a nuclear umbrella over U.S. cities. Most scientists viewed SDI as impossible, impossible, not impossible, and it became the cause of much ridicule in the scientific community. All right, diplomatically, Reagan sought to use the SDI to scare the Soviets. So when you had the nut versus mad. So SDI would upset four decades of strategic thinking concerning nuclear weapons. You had the nuclear utilization theory, or nut, which would advocate the winning of nuclear war. And Reagan's staff would drop estimates of these so-called reasonable losses in the event of a nuclear war, with some of them being as high as 40%. Now, the Mutual Assured Destruction, or MAD, had assured a balance of terror for four decades. So, basically, if one, one country hit the button, we would hit the button, too, and everyone would go boom. Reagan's dramatic increase in defense spending placed enormous pressures on the Soviet economy. Now, while Mikhail Gorbachev came to power in 85, he would try to reform the Soviet system rather than outcompete the U.S. Some historians actually credit Reagan's aggressive policies for winning the Cold War and forcing the disintegration of the Soviet Union in 91. Right, the Reagan Doctrine. So the U.S. gave overt and covert support for anti-communist guerrillas and resistance movements in order to roll back communist expansion. Now, this represented an aggressive move away from containment. Reagan would continue Carter's support for the uh, Afghanis against the Soviets in Afghanistan. The Soviets finally pulled out of Afghanistan in 88, and Gorbachev called it a bleeding wound. The U.S. aided Nicaraguan Contras in an effort to overthrow the Sandinistas, which were the leaders of the communist government. Sandinistas were socialist revolutionaries who condemned capitalism and U.S. policies in Latin America, and they were supported by Cuba. All right, Reagan would accuse the Sandinistas of turning their country into a forward base for Soviet and Cuban military penetration of all of Central America. Reagan sent covert aid, including the CIA-led mi <clears throat> mining of harbors, to the Contra rebels, or the freedom fighters, opposing the anti-U.S. government in Nicaragua. The atrocities committed by the Contras resulted in the U.S. Congress banning further aid to them. The Reagan administration's continuation of secret and illegal funding of the Contras would result in politically damaging Iran-Contra scandal in 87. The Sandinistas were eventually voted out of office by the early 90s. Now, in El Salvador, Reagan sent military advisors to prop prop up the pro-U.S. and the anti-communist government of El Salvador, as well as gaining congressional approval for $5 billion in aid. The U.S. public opinion soured after news of El Salvadorian government death squads, eliminating hundreds, maybe even thousands, of opposition members. In Granada in 83, Reagan would send 6,000 troops to tiny Granada in the Caribbean, where a military coup had killed the prime minister and brought a Marxist, Marxist regime to power. U.S. forces successfully overran the island. In Angola, 
The U.S. supported the anti-communist UNITA movement, U-N-I-T-A. Cal-007, this is going to be in September of 1983. The Soviets would destroy a Korean airliner carrying hundreds of civilians, including many Americans. The plane had accidentally veered into Soviet airspace. By the end of 83, all arms control negotiations with the Soviets had broken off. All right, so the end of the Cold War. Mikhail Gorbachev. In 85, Gorbachev, a reform-minded leader, became the general secretary of the Soviet Union. He allowed for free speech, capitalist economic reforms, and some democracy. Gorbachev also courted the West. He stated the Soviets would cease deployment of intermediate-range nuclear forces, or INFs, targeted on Western Europe if the U.S. would also agree to their elimination. Reagan and Gorbachev met in Geneva in 85 to discuss improving relations and in Reykjavik, Iceland, which is the capital of Iceland, in 86 to discuss arms reduction. Gorbachev proposed dramatic cuts in nuclear forces if Reagan agreed to suspend SDI, but Reagan refused. The INF Treaty was signed in Washington, D.C. in December of 87 after two years of negotiations. It banned all intermediate <clears throat> range nuclear missiles from Europe. It represented a dramatic breakthrough in the Cold War. Uh, Reagan and Gorbachev basically said nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought. And the U.S. formally suspended the INF Treaty in 2019, claiming Russia was not adhering to the pact. Russia suspended the treaty in response. All right, revolutions of 89, the fall of the Iron Curtain. The cost of maintaining satellite countries, both politically and economically, were too much of a burden for the USSR to handle. Gorbachev's political reforms opened the floodgates for the <clears throat> democratization of Eastern Europe and the decline of Soviet influence. Solidarity prevailed in Poland in August of 89, removing the communist government, sparking a wave of freedom throughout Eastern Europe. Hungary broke from Soviet influence in October. The Berlin Wall fell in November. Germany was reunited in <clears throat> 1990. Bulgaria, Czechoslovakia, and Rom Romania broke from the Soviets by the end of that year. All right, so the reduction of nuclear weapons. President George H.W. Bush, so the first Bush, and Gorbachev agreed to dramatic cutbacks in ICBMs, and these are intercontinental ballistic missiles in the early 90s. START-1, or Strategic Arm Race Reduction Treaty, in 1991, it cut 10% of the U.S. nuclear weapons and 25% of Soviet nukes and limited ICBM warheads to 1,100 each. A later treaty called for 50% reduction within a few years. In December December 25th of, in 1991 was the fall of the Soviet Union, and this ended the Cold War. An attempted coup by Soviet hardliners over Gorbachev in August of 91 fell, uh, fatally weakened his leadership. Several republics within the USSR continued to demand independ independence from the Soviet Union. Russian President Boris Yeltsin ceded from the USSR, thus destroying the Soviet Union. Russia assured the, the Soviet position... <coughs> Excuse me. Russia assumed the Soviet position in the in the UN Sec, uh, Security Council. Fifteen new countries emerged from the disintegration of the USSR, and Americans claimed victory in the Cold War, and the U.S. became the world's homogeneous. Right, Reagan's domestic policy. Reaganomics. Okay, so it's the supply-side economics. Now, Reagan cut taxes based on the trickle-down idea that if the people had more money, they would invest rather than spend excess on consumer goods. This would result in greater production, more jobs, and greater prosperity. 
Arthur Laufer theorized government revenues would increase despite lower taxes. Economic Recovery Tax Act of 81. Congress granted Reagan a 25% cut spread over three years. Now, meanwhile, Reagan is going to enact large budget cuts in domestic programs, including education. It's always good cut of education. That sounds fabulous. Food stamps, public housing, and the National Endowment for the Arts and Humanities. So let's take away education and let's make it to where people don't have access to the arts and humanities. That sounds spiffy. She says sarcastically. All right. Reagan said he would maintain a safety net for the truly needy, focusing on those unable to work because of disability or need for child care. The defense budget increased by $12 billion, though. So you can see where all the budget cuts went. <clears throat> all right. So the results. There was a huge budget deficit that would result in the rise of the national debt from $1 trillion in 1980 to $3 trillion in 1988. The continued expansion of certain programs such as Medicare and Medicaid resulted in large increases in government spending. Most Americans were unwilling to see these safety net programs compromised, especially as the percentage of those in retirement age as a proportion of the total population continued to increase. And this was called the graying of America. Taxes had to be implemented in 84 in order to make up for the budget deficits. In the mid-1980s, the U.S. became a debtor nation for the first time since war World War One. Reagan recession of 82 and 83. By December of 82, the economy was in a recession due to the Federal Reserve's tight money policy, and this would lead to 10% unemployment. We've already talked that 4% is where you really want to be at. All right, so inflation is going to fall from 12% in 79 to 4% in 84, so that's good. This resulted from the lower demand of goods and the oversupply of oil. Not so good. The Federal Reserve Board began to lower interest rates, which together with lower inflation and more income due to lower taxes resulted in an increase in business. So unemployment fell to less than 8%, still a little high. Deregulation. This is this began under Carter. Reagan and Congress deregulated AT&T, which was the nation's largest telephone company, and the airline and trucking industries. The consolidation of industries resulted with many smaller companies going under. The S&L bailout, or the savings and loan bailout, that's your time for me because we we did it again. <clears throat> in 82, many savings and loan institutions were threatened with insolvency. Reagan pushed for the deregulations of savings and loan industries. Banks began to make riskier loans, and, cor and corrupt administrators built millions of dollars from investors. Third world countries were unable to repay risky loans. A, a wave of mergers, acquisitions, and leveraged buyouts, or LBOs, would leave companies saddled with heavy debt. Banks bankruptcy became a convenient way to escape debt and became a hefty tax write-off. Starting in 89, the federal government was forced to bail out over $500 million worth of bank failures. The U.S. taxpayers covered the bill. So the banks didn't handle their money properly, and the taxpayers had to pay for it. The irony is if you don't handle your money properly and you go like, I don't know, like a penny in debt, you got to pay $32 every time you do that. I mean, I'm just putting that information out there. You'll you'll read that when you start getting your own, uh, like savings and loans and stuff. Mergers. All right. These are going to be encouraged by deregulation under Carter and Reagan, as well as an emerging international economy. And they'll be fueled by funds released by new tax breaks. And mergers would become a widespread phenomenon in the 80s. The multinational corporations would come to dominate the international economy. 
All right, the stock market crash or Black Monday. This is going to be October 19th of 87. Stock prices had soared in the early 80s due in part to Reagan's easing of controls on the stock market, brokerage houses, banks, and savings and loan institutions. October 19th of 87, Dow Jones stock market average dropped over 500 points but did not seriously damage the economy. But fearing a recession, Congress... Congress reduced 1988 taxes by $30 billion. By the mid-1990s, stock market indexes doubled in light of a more stable economy. Right, the air traffic controllers strike. August of 81, federally employed air traffic controllers began an illegal strike. Reagan fired 11,400 of them after they refused to follow his order to return to work. Airports began training replacements and used military controllers during the interim. The air traffic controllers union was destroyed as a result. Right, so the election of 84, Democrats nominated Walter Mondale, former vice president under Carter and a former senator from Minnesota. Geraldine Ferraro was nominated as the first female vice presidential nominee from a major party in U.S. history. Mondale criticized Reagan for his budget deficits, high unemployment and interest rates and reduction of spending on social services. Reagan and Bush were re-nominated by the Republican Party. Reagan defeated Mondale 525 to 13 and gained 60% of popular vote. Reagan won 49 of 50 states. The Democratic coalition from the days of FDR, consisting of industrial workers, farmers, and the poor, were broken apart. Reagan, uh, Reagan Democrats provided his decisive victory. Only African Americans remained as a Democratic voting bloc within the Democratic Party. All right, the tax reform of 86, it would lower tax rates, changing the highest rate on personal income from 50% to 28% and corporate taxes from 46% to 34%, yet it removed many tax shelters and tax credits that had favored the rich. The Iran-Contra scandal of 87, this would represent the biggest crisis of Reagan's presidency. The Reagan administration continued to fund the Nicaraguan Contras, even though Congress had forbidden it. The money came from the U.S. secret sale of weapons to Iran, which would, was, you know, our sworn enemy, in return for uncertain Iranian guarantees that U.S. hostages being held in the Middle East would be released. When the press discovered the illegal flow of money, Reagan publicly denied any sale of arms for hostages. Congressional hearings led to the admission of guilt by several high-ranking Reagan administration officials. Reagan was shielded from any wrongdoing in the scandal, but his credibility among many Americans was damaged. Damaged. Past tense, sorry. Reagan's economic legacy. In the 80s, we would see low inflation and the reduction of interest rates. This combination sparked a dramatic economic recovery that fueled optimism amongst a majority of Americans. The national debt would triple from $1 billion in 80 to $3 billion in 88. Tax cuts and increased military spending created lost revenue of $200 billion per year. Deficits did not begin to diminish until Clinton's presidency in the mid-90s. The debt was serpentivitous for conservatives. The reduced growth of uh, government led to cuts in social spending since less money was available for the government to spend. All right, then we get the first Bush's presidency. So the election of 88, Bush benefited from the popularity of Reagan's presidency and the rising tide of conservatism. He advocated strong defense policies, his toughness on crime, and the opposition to abortion. His campaign pledge was, read my lips, no new taxes. We come back, and then this would come back to bite him in the election of 92. Uh, he defeated Massachusetts Governor uh, Michael Dukakis. Uh, although the Democrats held onto their seats in Congress, he was more moderate in economic policies than Reagan was. 
Right, so his foreign policy. Bush oversaw the revolutions of eighty uh, of eighty nine in Eastern Europe and the fall of the Soviet Union in ninety one. He continued the constructive relationship with Gorbachev that uh, Reagan had fostered. Bush formally recognized each of the fifteen new countries that emerged from the defunct Soviet Union. The first Gulf War, which we'll go into a little bit more in depth later. All right, success of Operation Desert Storm in removing uh, Iraq from Kuwait in 91 helped make Bush enormously popular. And in not early 91, Bush enjoyed a 91% approval rate. All right, the culture war. This is going to be the late 1970s to the present. Liberalism in the late 20th century continued to challenge what many Americans considered core traditional American values. Since the late 1970s, the culture war increasingly polarized Americans around such issues as abortion, gay marriage, evolution versus creationism, and affirmative action policies. The, de the debate over what cons uh, constituted American values was similar to the 1920s conflict between modernists and traditionalists. Liberalism tended to be uh, strongest in the blue states, where large cosmopolitan populations welcomed a more open society. The coast were the strongest bastions of liberalism, like California, New York, and Massachusetts. Social conservatives dominated the South, the Great Plains states, and certain states in the Midwest. So then we get... Uh, the rise of the religious right. In the 1970s, we would experience a major revival of conservative Christianity among both fundamentalists and more moderate evangelicals. In the 77 survey, roughly 30% of Americans considered, considered themselves born-again Christians. President Jimmy Carter was the most prominent example as he was a devout Baptist. Reverend Jerry Falwell and his, his organization, the Moral Majority, became politically active, favoring prayer and the teaching of creationism in the public schools opposing abortions, pornography, homosexuality, the ERA, and supporting a strong national defense. Born-again activists came to be called the religious right and were led by several prominent leaders in the late 1980s and the 1990s, including Pat Robertson, who was the head of the Christian Coalition. Dr. James Dobson was the leader of the Focus on Families and became the leading voice for evangelicals in the late 1990s and 2000s. President Reagan supported many ideas of <clears throat> the religious right. The abortion issue would affect many local and state political elections in the 80s and the 90s and became the single most important social issue of the late 20th century, leading to the polarization of politics between Democrats and Republicans. Liberals saw Roe v. Wade in 73 as a bastion for women's rights and the rights uh, for separation of church and state. Conservatives saw abortion as murder and against biblical principles. In Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 92, the Supreme Court largely upheld Roe v. Wade, even though a majority of the court considered, uh, consisted of conservatives. Abortion rights became a cornerstone of women's rights advocates who argued women should have control over their reproductive rights. Conservatives opposed the Equal Rights Amendment, or the ERA, and efforts by such conservatives in, as Phillips Shellafly succeeded in killing the amendment in 1982, religious conservatives made runs at local school board elections, and multiculturalism came under attack as well. All right, sexual orientation. So, AIDS, the acquired immune deficiency syndrome. Uh, it initially received little attention as the earliest victims were gay men and intravenous drug users. The issue ended the, the cultural war as conservatives opposed government funding for AIDS research. The controversy was exemplified by President Reagan's son, Ron Reagan Jr., criticizing his father's administration for its seeming, seeming indifference to the AIDS issue. By the end of the 80s, at least 600,000 people were infected. Many more heterosexuals in the nation became intensely alerted. 
Surprise, surprise. By the mid-1990s, drugs to prevent the onset of AIDS showed promise. And I've seen here lately where they've uh, they've kind of moved that uh, that needle toward a cure. I digress. All right, gays in the military. Up until 93, the military required those who enlisted to declare under oath that they were not homosexual. For decades, policymakers and military leaders argued that allowing gays in the military would hurt morale and disrupt the readiness of the nation's armed forces. In 93, President Bill Clinton lifted the ban on gays in the military. A political firestorm erupted, and most Republicans and some Democrats severely criticized Clinton's policy. Don't Ask, Don't Tell came out in 93 as well. A political compromise ensured whereby the military would no longer require enlistees to declare their sexual orientation. However, if anyone was found to be gay, they would be discharged from the military. 13,640 servicemen and women were dishonorably discharged for homosexual conduct between 94 and 2010. The repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell occurred in December of 2010 with President Barack Obama signing legislation ending the policy. The DADT, that Don't Ask, Don't Tell, policy would expire in September of 2011 and open gays and lesbians thereafter were able to serve. Same-sex marriage. During the 1980s, the gay rights movement became increasingly vocal in their demands for equal treatment before the law. Conservatives often argued that sexual orientation should not be protected under civil rights laws and that gay marriage contradicted biblical practices or biblical principles. In the 1990s, a few states began allowing gay marriage with certain restrictions. The Defense of Marriage Act, 96. All right, so in 96, which was an election year, President Bill Clinton signed legislation that established that the federal government only recognized marriages between a man and a woman. Despite his support for gay rights, Clinton signed the measure echoing the sentiment of nearly 80% of Americans who opposed gay marriage at the time. Each state would determine their own policies. Gay married couples were denied the right to federal aid and could be denied right to state aid and benefits that applied to heterosexual spouses. Many Democratic supporters of Clinton criticized him for caving into conservative demands for such legislation. By 2015, 37 states recognized gay marriage or civil unions. In 2011, New York became the largest state to recognize same-sex marriages, followed by California in 2013. The Supreme Court ruled in 2015 that same-sex marriage was legal in uh, Obergefell versus Hodges. And I'm going to spell that one for you. O-B-E-R-G-E-F-E-L-L and Hodges, H-O-D-G-E-S. Okay, affirmative action. Conservatives saw affirmative action as reverse discrimination and sought to abolish it at the federal and state level. White men were the most likely group to be opposed to affirmative action policies. Liberals argued that the American economic and political system was still dominated by whites and that affirmative action was still necessary to even the playing field and achieve diversity. Supreme Court decisions in the 90s and the 2000s would weaken affirmative action at the fringes, although the policy remained largely intact in most university systems, the public sector, excuse me, and in many industries. Uh, public support for affirmative action policies gradually eroded to a bare majority by the 2000s. Welfare. Aid to families with dependent children, or the AFDC, originated as part of the Social Security Act of 35 during the New Deal. Lyndon Johnson increased AFDC funding as a part of his Great Society. Now, by the 70s and 80s, conservatives criticized AFDC as creating a generation of people dependent on government uh, largeness. The term welfare queen was used referring to unwed mothers who allegedly continued to have children in order to get welfare payments. That doesn't make sense. You don't get that much. 
you kiddos are expensive. Anyway, liberals argued that minorities were likely to need welfare assistance and ending ending the safety net was inhumane. Personal responsi- sorry, personal responsibility and work opportunity act. This is going to be 96. It would place 5-year lim- uh, lifetime cap on welfare benefits, 2 years maximum at any one time. And it provided block grants to states to devise and administer their own welfare system. It ended welfare benefits for legal uh, for legal immigrants. It banned federal, state, and local public assistance to illegal immigrants except emergency medical care, school lunches, and treatment of communicable diseases. Now, the impact was the welfare caseload had dropped from $14.4 billion in 94 to $12.1 million before Clinton signed the bill. By August of 97, the, welf- the welfare rolls dropped to 10.7%, the lowest since 1970. States around the country began creating their own welfare-to-work programs. Sex and violence in the media. By the 1980s, millions of American parents grew increasingly concerned with the level of gratuitous sex and violence on TV, in the movies, and in the recording industry. Social conservatives in particular decry the entertainment industry, especially Hollywood, for corrupting American culture and eroding traditional values. Some liberals argued that any attempt to limit freedom of expression constituted an infringement of the First Amendment. By the late 1980s, warning labels were placed on records, tapes, and CDs to warn parents of material they might deem objectionable for their children. The movie industry added the distinction PG-13 for movies as a way of warning parents of material that might be inappropriate for younger viewers. The TV industry began using a rating system, although complaints about the level of violence and sexual content persisted. New new technology allowed parents to block objectionable material. Gun politics. Liberals increasingly called for gun control laws due to the perceived increase in gun violence in American society. Two of the major reforms sought by liberals were to decrease the availability of automatic weapons and to institute background checks for those wishing to purchase a firearm. We have that today. It's called the Nick's Background Check. All right. The National Rifle Association, or the NRA, vehemently opposed any attempts at gun control in the four decades since 1980. They strongly backed candidates who favored gun rights and spent prodigiously to defend candidates who sought gun control. Defeat candidates who sought gun control. Ugh. Even modest gun control reforms were mostly shot down by the candidates backed by the NRA. The issue of gun control became another wedge issue, polarizing liberals and conservatives in blue states and red states. Important trends in the late 20th and early 21st centuries. Family. Divorce rates would double in the decade after 65. By 1990, 50% of marriages ended in divorce. That's pretty much true to today. The social impact of broken, broken families has a profound impact on the lives of millions of children. Blended families became increasingly prevalent in society, and that is where you have, um, generally, you have children of the wife and children of the husband that all come together. Think like the Partridge family. <clears throat> or, what is it? Cheaper by the dozen. That may be something that Y'all know a little bit. Yeah. So uh, so that's your thing to let me know that you listen to this podcast is mention the Partridge family. Is it an okay show? Anyway. Not the Partridge family. It's not the Partridge family. Brady Bunch. Sorry, I just got excited. That was who it is. Mention the Brady Bunch. Anyway. The Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch. That's the way we became the Brady Bunch. Anyway, the proportion of adults living alone would triple between 50 and 80. 1950, 1980. Children born to un... Sorry, my alarm went off. 
Children born to unmarried mothers would increase in the 21st century. By the 1990s, one of six white babies were born to an unwed mother, unwed mother. For Latinos, one out of three. And for African Americans, one out of two. TVs came to replace many parents as the average child in the 90s watched up to 15,000 hours of TV by age 16. All right, that graying of America I talked about earlier. The baby boom generation was the largest in American history. In 2000, the first of the baby boomers turned 60 years of age. <clears throat> As Medicare and Social Security costs increased, a proportionally smaller percentage of Americans under the age of 60 were paying into the system. By the 21st century, the financial strain of paying for increased numbers of retirees strained the federal budget considerably. President George W. Bush, so the second Bush, sought to reform the Social Security system, but, a, but caught a political firestorm in the process. As the percentage of Americans over age 55 continued to rise, the elderly exercised an increasing level of political and social influence relative to previous generations. <clears throat> Immigration the Immigration Act of 65 ended the quota system established in the 1920s. A flood of immigration from Latin America, Asia, and Africa resulted. Mexico was the largest source of immigration after 65. The Vietnam War resulted in a wave of refugees coming to the U.S. from Vietnam and Cambodia. The Philippines became the largest source of uh, sorry, Asian immigration to the U.S. Other sources of immigration included Korea, the Dominican Republic, India, Cuba, and China. The Southwest saw the largest increase in immigration. Immigration Reform and Control Act of 86, and this was signed by Reagan. It attempted to deal with the problem of illegal immigration, mostly from Mexico and Central America. <clears throat> okay, it would increase penalties on employers hiring undocumented workers, and it would also increase resources of Immigration and Naturalization Services, or INS, to enforce the law. <clears throat> it, would, it would offer resident alien status or amnesty to 3 million illegal immigrants who had lived in the United States continually since 1982, and it would reduce the flow of immigration until the global recession of the early 1990s. <clears throat> By 2000, Latinos became the largest non-white group in America. Mexicans were the largest Latino group. An estimated 12 million illegal or undocumented immigrants lived in, the Amer lived in America by 2010. The Latino population comprised 16% of the U.S. population in 2010, which would be up from 13% in 2000. This political power was seen in the election of Bar uh, Barack Obama in 2008 and 2012. The recession of 1991 resulted in the rise of nativism. Proposition 187 in California banned social services, including education, for illegal immigrants and their children. The initiative was later invalidated in <clears throat> by the courts. Korean Americans were targeted by African Americans during the L.A. riots of 1992. Arizona in 2010 and Alabama in 2011 <clears throat> passed strong anti-immigrant laws aimed at deporting illegal immigrants. The, the deportation of Illegal immigrants accelerated significantly during the Obama presidency. However, he issued in 2014 an executive order to dramatically reduce non-criminal deportations while Republicans saw the order as unconstitutional. Donald Trump's strong anti-immigration stance helped him, get, helped him get elected president in 2016, and the issue of banning immigration from certain Muslim countries and detaining illegal immigrants at at the U.S. southern border, including the separation of families, became a hotbed of controversy during his presidency. <clears throat> Revolution in Communication and Technology The Personal Computer The Apple Personal Computer, developed by Steve Wozniak in the late 1970s, signaled a 
technological revolution. By the late 1980s, the IBM-based pers personal computer, or the PC, had become the industry standard in millions of Americans. <clears throat> millions of American homes had at least one PC. Bill Gates, which was the founder of Microsoft, developed a virtual monopoly of the operating system used with PCs and became the wealthiest man on the planet by the 1990s. Public access to the internet in the mid-1990s resulted in a second revolution in communications te technology. <clears throat> it enabled businesses to become more profitable and gave rise to new internet gains like Amazon and Google. Email revolutionized communication and business and society throughout the world and accelerated economic globalization. Social network sites like Facebook and Twitter became ubiquitous. Cell phones were used by a majority of the population by the early 2000s. Smartphones, especially Apple's iPhone, developed by Apple co-founder Steve Jobs, offered the power and storage of a PC. The decline of labor unions. At the height of union power between 55 and 70, about one in three American workers belonged to a labor union. The shift in the U.S. economy from an industrial ec uh, economy to a service economy proportionally reduced the percentage of workers in unions. Service energy jobs included accounting, tradesmanship like car repair or plumbing, computer services, restaurants, retail sales, and tourism. Corporations and major industries began relocating their plants to other countries to take advantage of cheaper labor and tax breaks. Service industry, service industry jobs were usually not unionized until here lately. Some of them are starting to push for it. By 2010, the percentage of American workers in labor, labor unions had declined to less than 10%. Income inequality. Starting in the 70s, the income gap between uh, ordinary workers and executives and shareholders drew dramatically. By 2016, the top 20% of Americans owned nearly 90% of the country's assets. The top 1% by 2016 saw their share of national income rise to over 20% compared to 8.4%. In 68, discontent with rising inequality was illustrated with the Occupy Wall Street movement that emerged in 2011 and proclaimed, we are the 99%. The poverty rates for Americans reached 13% in 2016, though rates of poverty were significantly higher for African Americans and Latinos. Among industrial countries, poverty rates in the U.S. were the most pronounced. The multitude of factors... Responsible for rising inequality included a global economic competition, the displacement of high-paying manufacturing jobs by automation, increased income for educated workers in high-tech industries, increased incomes in the financial sector, the availability of low-wage immigrant labor, and the increased rates of marriage between highly educated men and women who combined for high household income. Tax cuts that disproportionately favored the wealthy may have also been a factor. <clears throat> So we've got one more chapter left. So that means two more groups of terms to know, and we will be on to our review.